Before we jump into today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences that we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So let's get comfy and talk about death. Happy New Year, and welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Jem. And I'm Red, and we are your COVID coroners this week. And what a year it has been. It's hard to believe that almost exactly one year ago, we started hearing news of a virus, a disease, that would change the course of modern history as we know it. And no, I'm not even being a little bit dramatic. The SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus, or as we know it, COVID-19, has rocked not only the medical world, but everyone's world. At the time of this recording, 19 million cases have been recorded, 330,000 deaths, and that tally only reflects the United States, not the entire world. Every single continent, yes, even Antarctica, has been affected by this disease. As you can imagine, frontline workers have stepped up to this challenge, blindly fighting against COVID-19 and compassionately taking care of an unprecedented surplus of patients. And for the first time in a long time, funeral directors, medical examiners, and all death professionals around the world are included, I would even say highlighted, as invaluable members of this frontline team. New York Times is reporting on management of the dead, Washington Post is featuring interviews with death care workers across the country, and people are looking towards medical examiners for guidance, reports, and data. It's really, really exciting because, you know, for the longest time we feel like our jobs are always in the shadows and we aren't really uh, making frontline news at all. So it's really cool to kind of be up there with the big dogs and getting the limelight that we normally aren't afforded. Exactly. Because as we'll talk about in these next two episodes, recapping uh, what's happened so far with coronavirus in 2020, um, the death care industry has played a huge, huge, huge role in the coronavirus care. And that's usually not something that we're afforded. So what exactly is COVID? I'm sure we've all heard everything there is to know about coronavirus in the media through our own personal research. So we're just going to outline a few simple things that even I as a medical as a medical professional didn't know when coronavirus first came up. So like I said, COVID is a coronavirus. It is a family of viruses and they're called coronaviruses because corona means crown. So they have a crown of spike proteins um, on the outside of their cell membrane. So this means that they're highly virulent. The spike proteins protect the inner virus from all of the other cells in your body. So this is why coronavirus is so infectious and how it spreads so easily. The crown or the um, layer of spike proteins pr protect the virus from your macrophages, from your, you know, B cells, your T cells, all of these important things in your immune system that protect you. So basically like a room full of water balloons and there's a hedgehog. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> from an outside perspective. I, I had to think about that for a second, but yeah, I would, I would say so for sure. So yeah, so these spike proteins protect the virus and your cells aren't able to, you know, destroy this virus. 
Um, I've seen in the news that people are saying, oh, there's like hundreds of strains of coronavirus. Like, how is this one any different? That's actually not super true. So there's only seven types of coronaviruses that infect humans. Seven. Um, there's four like mild respiratory illnesses, and they're very old. They've been around for a very long time. And then the three that are of most concern to us as humans are SARS, MERS, and SARS-2, which is the COVID-19 coronavirus. SARS means sudden acute respiratory syndrome. And that disease, um, there was a pandemic with that disease too. I don't know if you guys remember, but that has been completely eradicated. It's actually one of two diseases like ever in the entire world that have been completely eradicated. The other one is smallpox. Um, and then MERS means Middle East Respiratory uh, Syndrome. And that is still active today, obviously more in the Middle East than every, than anything. There was only really two cases ever of MERS in, uh, in the United States. And then, of course, we all know SARS-2, which is Sudden Acute Respiratory Syndrome uh, 2. So why is it why is it two like so it's <laughs> an interesting like sequel to SARS? <laughs> I, it's basically just like uh, I would say I don't I don't know specifically, but I think it's pretty similar to the original SARS. Um, so I think they just named it the same thing and threw a two on there, slapped a two on there. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> SARS two electric boogaloo. Let's call it a day. <laughs> and that's where we get the SARS CoV two is the actual name of the of the coronavirus strain. Um, and of course, there's, you know, when the virus enters your body, this is where the strains occur. So when the virus enters your body, it gets your cells to replicate its DNA. And sometimes your cells aren't perfect, like no one's perfect, so they can cause mutations. This is how different strains come up. So yes, there are different strains of coronavirus, but it's really body specific. And, you know, we've heard recently of this new strain that's appeared in Britain that's highly virulent. It is still the SARS-2 coronavirus. It's just a different mutation that's more virulent. And, you know, this is pretty rare for this to happen, but it does happen, obviously, and we're dealing with it right now. So I don't know if you guys remember this, but the first confirmed case of coronavirus in the United States was in the state of Washington um, on January 21st. So that's really in the beginning of last year. We're almost hitting the year mark here with coronavirus. But, you know, we all remember hearing things about coronavirus in December, November even, um, coming up in Wuhan, China. Yeah, I remember uh, before the new year ticked over, it was kind of a... A general idea or like thought process that was like, oh, that's a them problem, like, oh, that's never going to get here. We're never going to have to deal with that. That's going to get taken care of before it even becomes a problem. I know. <laughs> I am guilty of thinking the same thing. And that's such like, you know, in retrospect, that's such like a crappy like outlook that we had back then. But I remember, Red, we both went to a pretty big event in February, I remember. And, you know, people were like, you know, they were concerned about travel. They were like, okay, should we be concerned about this? And pretty much everyone was like, no, no, it's fine. Like, it's not, it's not a big deal. Like, you're not gonna, you know, nothing's gonna happen. And the event in February, it was like the middle of February, like no one was wearing any masks, like everything. I don't think there were any confirmed coronavirus cases that happened then. But it was just a very, very different landscape than we do have now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, even like two weeks later, I went to another large event um, and they had started like uh, it was it was a convention, uh, PAX East, if anyone's familiar with like uh, video game conventions. And they started pulling out 
uh, like PlayStation pulled out. And I remember everyone just being like, oh, that's so stupid. Like, why are they pulling out? This isn't even that big of a deal. And then like two weeks later, things shut down. Right. Right. So there was actually a lot of early uncertainty with the coronavirus. Uh, The CDC was really the center of information for the entire world. And I still look to CDC for their guidelines and information and data. As one should. (laughs) As one should with with anything, really. Um, But even the CDC guidelines kept changing. You know, this was a new, extremely virulent, extremely spreadable infectious disease that was going around the entire world and there was like a general sense of just like panic and not really knowing how this was going to turn out yeah absolutely i mean i know that for a lot of a lot of my friends that are really dependent on like scientific fact and everything we're also worried it's like well every time we google a question like we keep getting different answers to it like there's there's no solid facts for us to follow like even from a government agency which is always pretty alarming i mean because then you don't know who you're supposed to get your answers from and it starts to sow this uh, disbelief amongst the population Right. And I think especially with this pandemic, government response was so, so, so important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't I, I never really want to get political in our podcast here. But unfortunately, our administration just it just didn't it didn't do what it should have done. And it's extremely unfortunate. I actually did um, a research paper on the early response and early death management in COVID-19 in my um, grad school program that I'm in right now. And I was actually reading articles from Greece, from Brazil. So I was reading articles about uh, Greece and their government was extremely strict, extremely right away, like at the forefront. They did an immediate shutdown and it was like, every, like everyone stay home, don't go anywhere. And I'm not sure what financial things that they enacted, but basically everyone stayed home. And from that, from that action, you know, Greece didn't have a lot of cases and their medical system and their medical examiner load was extremely low. And, you know, Greece as a country, you know, previously hasn't been doing too well. But because of that action, they were able to survive and they're, you know, they're doing okay. And, you know, then looking at the polar opposite, which would be us, the United States, or even Brazil, their government kind of did the same thing as our government. They kind of downplayed the whole thing, you know, didn't really take any sort of regulatory mm-hmm. action. And there are there are areas that are struggling and their medical system is completely overwhelmed. And it's, you know, we're going to talk about it later in this episode, in the next episode, but it's just, it's insane how much you know, death, how much patience, how much illness that these systems have had to deal with on such a short notice. It's it's really just unprecedented. Yeah. And to go along with like how we've talked about death and denying societies before, I mean, we do take the ill parts of the population and we shove them in hospitals and the dead go to funeral homes and you really don't see what goes on behind the curtains on your day-to-day any day like pandemic or not but i think that's even more true now where these things are still happening and it's worse and people still don't really have any idea how bad it is at hospitals at nursing homes at funeral homes at medical examiner's offices it, it is very very real and very very bad oh exactly and that's like 
you know, like I said, I don't want to get too political, but you know, when I hear people talking about, oh, you know, COVID's not real, like, you know, it's just a government hoax or whatever, I, you know, I want to take them to a COVID ward in a hospital. I want to take them to the refrigerated trucks holding hundreds of bodies because we don't have room. I want to take them to see these people dying alone in a hospital room saying goodbye to their wives and kids on phone screens because of this disease. It's, it's, it's absolutely terrible. And I just, I just don't understand how people can just sweep it under the rug and only think of themselves. And how. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to get a little, (laughs) sorry to get a little passionate there, but this is something I am really passionate about. You know, I love pathology and I love disease processes and I love understanding how death affects our country and our population and our society. And this is really just like an extremely unprecedented, like extremely interesting, but also extremely sad time in our country right now. And I'm like loving doing the research and I'm loving learning about you know, how different societies are handling it. But at the same time, it takes a toll on you, you know? Absolutely. It's the COVID fatigue that (laughs) everyone's experiencing in one way or another. I don't think anybody hasn't been touched by a little bit of the fatigue that comes from having to think about it. I remember two, about two months after lockdown, I was just like, don't, if anyone says the word COVID, if everyone, anyone says the word quarantine one more time, I'm going to lose it. And like, if that poor little version of me could see like the version of me today, it's like, oh boy, you're going to have to hear it a lot more, buddy. (laughs) I know it. I know it. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I do want to get back on track to kind of talking about what COVID is and what these things mean. So like I said, so far in the United States, there have been 19 million cases and 330,000 deaths. If you look at these numbers and just compare these two numbers, you can see that mortality of the coronavirus isn't super high. It's pretty high. Like we don't like to see anyone die really is the general consensus. Um, But so mortality, for anyone who doesn't know, mortality means, you know, the rate of deaths per in like cases like infected cases this is different between morbidity so morbidity means the rate of cases versus the entire population um so obviously covid has an extremely high morbidity rate um pretty like lower maybe mortality rate i'm not really sure i didn't compare these numbers so i don't know Um, But there's an extremely high mortality for people that are high risk. So who is high risk? We all know people with pre-existing conditions, um, especially people with asthma, people with heart conditions, and the elderly. So these are all the deaths that we're kind of seeing when it comes to coronavirus. And the, the thing that I think people think is like, oh, coronavirus just kills old people. That's not entirely true. Uh, when I was working in the medical examiner's office when COVID first started, it was probably in March we had our first young person case. It was a younger person, probably about 35 years old. They had asthma and they were overweight. They weren't obese, I would say. They're just slightly overweight. But that that was it. And they got coronavirus and they died. And if you think about that, that's kind of scary. A lot of people have asthma. And if you're 35 and you're dying because of a disease, like that's 
that's fear inducing. Like that's, I think that's what makes coronavirus so scary. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, the thing is, we all know somebody who's old or has some type of pre-existing condition. I think that that kind of gets glossed over. We we forget what exactly pre-existing conditions mean. Because mm-hmm. I see two people um, that die of coronavirus on our, our embalming tables, and yeah, one is the elderly people that are like seventy plus, but the other is people that are ranged from like all the way from 30 to 60 that just happen to have heart conditions or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's closer to home than you think, because honestly, we probably all know somebody that's got some type of respiratory disorder or cardiac disorder. Yeah. And this is, you know, it makes sense. Like coronavirus is a respiratory disease, right? So it affects your lungs. It produces a lot of congestion within your lungs and it makes your lungs very like angry i want to say just very angry very inflamed extremely hard to breathe and so if you have asthma which you know is mucus in your lungs basically if you have these heart conditions your heart is directly connected to your lung and relies on your lungs for oxygen for your blood you know this is this is this is why people who have these conditions are you know have a higher mortality in the covid-19 virus Another thing that I wanted to talk about that I think is pretty interesting regarding COVID is how the COVID test has evolved like through through the year, through the months, I guess. So it's actually really interesting to think about, but I, I don't think people know this. So when COVID first started affecting the U.S., there wasn't there wasn't really like testing for the coronavirus. It was still being developed. So I would say probably March is when you know, testing started to become like a thing. Um, But so say that we had someone who died, who had a fever, a cough, uh, you know, classic symptoms of the coronavirus. The thing is, fever and cough, anyone can have a fever and a cough. It doesn't, like, it's not exclusive to coronavirus. So this is why you need to test to be sure that they do actually have the coronavirus. And yes, we actually do test the dead bodies. Um, Coronavirus can still be picked up in the respiratory system of deceased patients. Um, I'm not sure how long it stays there. Um, There's still research being done about that, but you can still test for the coronavirus in dead bodies. Um, But so in the early days, we would do a test the test results wouldn't be back for like 10 to 14 days. Which is like absolutely (laughs) millennia worth of time when you have a disease that spreads so fast. Yeah, think about if you, you know, if someone dies and you have to do an autopsy on them and they have, you know, history of cough fever, you, you have to do that autopsy, you know, but at the same time, autopsies are very high risk for aerosolizing coronavirus particles which means, you know, putting them in the air so the person doing the autopsy breathes them in. Um, so we don't really want to do autopsies on coronavirus bodies. So we were testing for them, but we'd have to wait like 10, 14 days for the results to get back, which is a very stark difference between now we have the rapid PCR test, which um, you get results back in like, I don't know, 24 hours or less. <laughs> so you guys weren't actually doing any aut- autopsies for that amount of time? That's crazy. I mean, we were doing, you know, the the typical because people still die. It's not like coronavirus happened and everyone decided to stop dying. Like, no. <laughs> um, so, you know, we would still do we would still do autopsies on, you know, the car accidents, the suicides, the blah, blah, blah. But if these people had symptoms or if we didn't know if they had symptoms, we'd have to test them for a coronavirus. And oftentimes, yeah, we would have to wait. We'd we'd wait. 
I, I know maybe other medical offices did it differently. You can do an autopsy in isolation room and be pretty safe. Um, but yeah, in our office, we would wait until the results came back. So sometimes that would be anywhere from like 10 to 14 days. And I would say that was like the first month or two of coronavirus until testing started to get more regular. Wow, I had no idea. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was a lot of like backlash with families and stuff. Oh my gosh, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, it just, it's unfortunate, but you know, we needed to protect ourselves. You know, that is also a time where no one really knew like how coronavirus, how virulent it was and like what, you know, if you, if it does, how long does it stay on a surface? Like how long does it stay in the air? I don't know if you guys remember, but there was like back and forth, back and forth, like, oh, it stays in the air for three hours. It stays in the air for 15 minutes. Like it's, it was really just, we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants. Um, thankfully, I would say that, you know, respiratory diseases in the medical examiner setting, we have regulations for them. So say like TB, tuberculosis, I, I often compare TB with uh, COVID because, you know, that's why medical examiners have isolation rooms. They have protocols for TB. You know, there's testing for TB that's been in the medical field for like, you know, ever since TB was a thing, which was years and years and years ago. Um, So we kind of took those TB protocols and just like changed them into COVID protocols. So there's a lot that we didn't know and a lot that we didn't understand about the coronavirus, but there was still a way that we could be as safe as possible. So this would include like just not doing autopsies until we were certain if there was a COVID autopsy that we had to do, just do it in the isolation room, use a PAPR unit, which is like a full headed, like, like respirator kind of, um, like motor thing. I don't know how to describe it. That's crazy. Looking like, like some Among Us characters. Yeah, exactly. Like the hazmat suit thing going on basically, you know, but now we have the, the rapid PCR test. We have the, um, there's even like an antigen test, which, I didn't know it was a thing until my partner got it. And it it's like a 15-minute like antigen test. And so they swab your nose or your saliva and they test for the antigens, which isn't as reliable as like a like an RNA PCR test, but it's it still does the job, I would feel. But it's only 15 minutes. C- compare 14 days to 15 yeah. minutes. <laughs> We've made a lot of progress in only eight years' time. <laughs> exactly, which is just insane to think about. So we've made a lot of progress in the year's time, but because of what happened and the regulations that we didn't have from our government and just how badly the virus has affected our country, you know, like I said, 19 million cases, 330,000 dead. I don't want you guys to forget those numbers because they're insane. So I mean, that is an extremely high number. But really, how does that compare when we look at other like natural disasters, like, you know, Katrina, or like when we had major, like, mass deaths? How, how does that compare to what what we see in coronavirus now? Right. So I know that larger numbers are hard to conceptualize. So I actually did some research. So let's think about this. So coronavirus deaths in New York City today, there are 25,000 reported deaths caused by coronavirus in New York City. Um, let's take a look at 9-11. So on 9-11, 2,726 people died. There were that were there were that many death certificates issued um, in New York City on 9-11. So 2,726. If we look at that and compare it to 
the coronavirus deaths that happened in New York, that's over nine times. So we're we're looking at, let's say 9-11 happened 10 times within the past year. That's how many deaths that we're looking at. Which is crazy because, I mean, maybe not all of our listeners were uh, coherent enough of an age to really remember 9-11, but that was an absolute travesty with how many, you know, emergency, emergency professionals that had to get on scene for that. I mean, they had people from all over the world coming to help them um, retrieve people and, and help at hospitals and offer assistance. But now it's 10 times worse and the entire United States is dealing with the same problem. So imagine having that much more to that much more death to deal with and that much more illness to deal with. But with I mean, a fraction of the help, a fraction of the resources. Right. So, OK, so, yeah, exactly. So just like, you know, putting it into conceptualization, you know, 10 10 9-11s in New York City, but that only accounts for the New York City COVID deaths. Imagine 10 9-11s, but in every major city across the entire United States in the span of a year. That's like, that's what we're looking at. And that's, that's a lot. And I think that because it's a lot, it's kind of people are becoming numb to it. And I think that people aren't thinking about the numbers and they just like you know the media isn't really covering it anymore as much as they did back in April and May but it's really only getting worse I think you're right yeah people have just kind of accepted this as this is life now this is yeah this this is how things are but unfortunately we just don't have an infrastructure to deal with it right And continuing on with the stats, just because I thought it was pretty interesting. So there was a really cool tweet that our dear president gave us (laughs) a little while ago that compared coronavirus deaths to influenza deaths. Oh, this many people die of influenza a year. This many people have died of coronavirus. It's not a big deal. Let's let's check in on that right now. (laughs) Let's get our fact checker (laughs) general gem on this. So let's let's remember, okay, 330,000 dead in the United States. In 2018, 59,120 people died of influenza. 59,000. 59,000 versus 330,000. That I is can't even can't even big, hold a torch. <laughs> big difference. And then on top of that, so in 2018, only 150,000 people died of respiratory diseases. This would be your COPD, asthma, anything like this. Still, 330,000 dead so far in less than a year versus 150,000 dead respiratory diseases in 2018. And this isn't to mention the fact that once these numbers finally come in into census or whatever in a year or two, we're going to be adding COVID deaths to the people that are already dying also from respiratory diseases. So it's not like, you know, that overtakes the number. Like there's still going to be a ton of respiratory illness diseases that aren't COVID that are killing people. Add COVID to that and there's still more. Like it's it's an insane amount of people, like way more than it needs to be. I know. And I think I wanted to talk about this later, but I think we need to talk about this now. So there is this kind of misconception that doctors are signing COVID onto death certificates just like just because. So like say that you have a 99-year-old grandma in the hospital. Um, She has COPD, she has heart conditions, and she has coronavirus. Uh, Let's say she dies. Who's to say that she didn't die of COPD or she didn't die of a heart condition, but the doctor just signs COVID on a death certificate because that's what she had and that's what he was told to do. I 
I think this is something that people don't understand and that, so I want to kind of talk about it this way. So, okay, grandma's 99 years old. She has COPD. She has heart conditions. Who's to say, um, you know, if she didn't have COVID, maybe she would have died a week from now. Maybe she would have died on Thursday or, you know, maybe she would have died like two months, a year from now. The The thing is, if she did not have COVID, would she have died today? And I think that is the question that doctors ask themselves when they sign a death certificate. If she did not have COVID, would she have died today? She did die today because she had COVID. They're going to put COVID on the death certificate. I don't know if that makes sense to people, but like, I think that people need to think about that. Because yes, these people have pre-existing conditions. They're very sick. They're very old. They could die at any moment. But if they did not have COVID, would they have died today? And that counts as a COVID death, I feel. Absolutely. I completely 100% agree with that. It's not like doctors are just being lazy and just like, it would just be easier to put COVID right now. Like, that's not, that's not at all. And there's not some like Illuminati scheme. (laughs) Right. And you know, you know, when people are dying of COVID, like, it's not just like you're laying in bed and all of a sudden you're dead. Like it is a terrible, like ravaging your body disease. It affects all of your organs. COVID can be found in all organs of autopsy patients. Um, it's, it just destroys your body. So it's not just like, oh, I don't, I don't know if grandma had a heart attack. Let's just sign it out as COVID. Like, I, I don't think that happens. I really don't. Or it's so negligible. It it would be the same rate that doctors miss like print a death on a death certificate anyway. Like it it would be so negligible. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Like doctors are humans. Like they make mistakes for sure. You know, there are, you know, there could be a couple cases or a couple couple death certificates that are signed out wrong. I'm not saying that doctors are perfect, but I'm saying that there's not like a big doctor death certificate conspiracy that they're just signing out everything COVID because I've heard people say this to me. And it's, I just, I don't think they understand how that works because that's not how that works. I've honestly actually sat down with families uh, making arrangements and like we go through vital stats for death certificates and they're like, when you send that to the doctor, if it comes back COVID, I want it re-signed. I refuse to accept that it was COVID. And like, I've honestly even had some doctors just like re-sign, like when probed to sign something else, they were just, their hands were forced by the family to sign something else. So it's not like doctors are out here to like skew numbers or anything. (laughs) I believe that because COVID is such like a controversial topic for some reason, uh, <laughs> um, families don't, a lot of families that are anti-COVID or whatever don't want the death certificate to say COVID. I feel like a lot of doctors and medical examiners want to please the family, so they might change a death certificate, but you know, that's up to them. Um, but this, like I've experienced this too. We had a, we had a patient who died of COVID, the medical examiner, uh, signed it out as COVID-19 death and the son would call the office every single day and be like oh my god it wasn't COVID he he didn't die of COVID <laughs> and it's like bro he tested positive for like what are you talking about? <laughs> but you know these these people just the uh, they just think it's all fake and I just I just I just can never understand why anyone would uh think think that like I don't know it's crazy to me <laughs> me too I I'm right there with you 
So we were able to touch on the basics of coronavirus and our experiences with coronavirus, especially in the early days. We wanted to make sure that we had enough time to talk about everything and all of our experiences. Um, so we're going to divide it up into kind of like a two-part special. So we're going to leave it here for this episode, but we are uh, going to... In our next episode, talk about things like management of the dead, uh, lack of resources was a really important thing. Um, we're also going to talk about more more of the COVID controversy and what families, um, how families responded to that and how families treated us in that sort of way. Um, we also want to talk about like regulations and like what you can find in a COVID autopsy and how COVID has affected funeral homes and funerals. Yeah, we really had a lot to talk about this time. So we didn't, we've been saving up all year for this episode. Like we had, we bounced it back and forth. Like, is it, is it this week? Is this week the COVID episode? I know, uh, is it time? <laughs> so, so I think it's finally time now that we've reached pretty much a year living under uh, COVID uh, restrictions and, and the changes that COVID has brought upon our uh, little corners of the world. It is time and we are very excited to continue uh, talking about our experiences, how it hits us closer to home. Uh, so now we have the stage nicely set with all of the numbers and, and kind of um, helping you guys get caught back up to speed, especially people that are going to be listening to this, you know, years down the road. Uh, welcome back. We had an awful pandemic in 2020, um, but <laughs> now we get to go forward and just kind of get a little bit more into the meat and potatoes about it and how uh, we really were touched by this and what our professional lives look like. Right. And we wanted this to be kind of like a 2020 recap since it is the new year. Welcome 2021. Um, so if you do have any questions about anything we've talked about this episode or next episode, uh, be sure to shoot us an email and we'll probably do another episode on COVID in the future once you know more data has come in, once more things have happened for sure, because this is still happening as we speak. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I'm very uh, interested in doing a like, finally when things are actually lifted and the vaccines and out, out and everything, like what did the end of COVID look like? Because I honestly have some projections to the future. I'm interested to see how they play out. Oh, maybe we could talk about that next episode, too. Yeah, definitely. So that's it for this week on Warp Mike. We'd love to connect with you guys on our socials. So like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Mort Mike Podcast. That's M-O-R-T-M-I-C-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. It would mean a lot to hear your feedback. So please tell us what you think in a comment and drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site that you use. If you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions you might have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. I also want to thank our friend Marson for the use of his song titled Deputies of Death, which he produced just for our show. You can listen to more of his music at Marson, that's M-A-R-S-O-N music.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Marcin. And we'd also like to give a huge, huge thank you to some contributors. We just started a um, fundraising campaign for our next year uh, to pay for our uh, hosting site. And we were able to make all of the money that we were looking to make. And it was so awesome that you guys just like what we were doing so much that you decided to contribute. Thank you guys so, so, so much. Yeah, so a big thank you to Laura. Colleen, Trin, Jonathan, 
and cast thank you guys so so much your messages along with your donations meant so much to us we've had so much fun doing this podcast this year and it's definitely something we want to continue and we're just so excited that it's been able to fund itself for the next year so uh get ready for another year of morton mike yay <laughs> yeah one more year yeah thank you guys again so much you really are helping this dream continue along so um this one's for you you guys are rock stars Thank you. And be sure to tune in every other week on Thursdays for more casual discussions on death. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Mort Mike. Bye. Bye.